0: In the name of God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, God who is our light and our salvation. Amen. Yeah. Amen. You are the light of the world. I'm trying to catch everyone's eye. It's going to be hard. <laughs> you are the the light. Jesus says to his disciples today, you are the light of the world. Are you Jesus' disciple? Have you said yes to his call? Have you said yes to his invitation? Have you said yes to his Gracious, compelling, humble, brilliantly radiant love. If you're a disciple, Jesus says, you are, you are the light of the world. Not you should be, not you could be. You are the light of the world. What, what do you make of that? Of course, Jesus said in another place in John's gospel, he said a couple of times, I am the light of the world. So if you're with me and I'm in you, you are the light of the world. Similarly, um, the apostle Paul in our epistle today says to the Corinthians that they've received secret and hidden wisdom, they've received Christ who is the wisdom of God, that they have received wisdom, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, the Spirit who searches everything, even the depths of God. And he says, We have received that spirit. Light and wisdom and Holy Spirit. What gives? I don't know about you. On on the one hand, I believe that's true that I am the light, that I have wisdom, and the very spirit who searches the mind of God, and yet I am like these Corinthians who Paul says in the very next verse after uh, what Jenny read in in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, Paul says to these people who he's already said in his intro that they... uh, let's see, that they were enriched in Christ in all speech and all knowledge, and they were not lacking in any gift. And then he says after this passage, but brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Light of the world, wisdom, Holy Spirit, fleshly people who are infants. Where's that light? Where's that wisdom? How do we access it? How do we appropriate it? How how do we really become what we are, what we've been given? How do we become the light and wisdom for one another and for our world? Well, I've got the easy answer today. No, there's lots of ways to go. There is no, certainly, easy answer, and there's no one answer. Um, We could answer it in lots of ways. We could learn from Josiah, the the 26-year-old king of Israel, who, when he heard the word of God, was stricken to his heart and humbled himself and inquired of the Lord and listened to a prophet, a woman prophet at that. We could be like the gospel, be the disciples who come to Jesus to hear him teach the ways of God and show us the ways of God, and join ourselves to Him. We could talk about that, how we're formed in that way. We could talk about living a baptized life and a Eucharistic life, language that we use in the newcomers class. We could talk more about spiritual discipline, spiritual practices, spiritual habits. We could talk about emotional health and healing. There's lots of ways we could go. I want to go to the psalm and look at one verse in the psalm we sang the opening verse so and the and so if you didn't like look at the psalm while it was being read you at least know that it's about the lord who is my light and salvation whom shall i fear that the psalm is david's in part it's his struggling with fear Why do I not? Why am I not the light that I would like to be all the time? Why am I not the wisdom and live in the wisdom that I want to be all the time? A lot of it is fear, and a lot of it is ingrained fearful responses, or you could just say it's immaturity. Um, but I. I Some of what David's dealing with here, and in this beautiful verse, um, is in this context. Like, how do I get over this embodied resistance and responses that I have? And David says this. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Uh, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. Last week we heard, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Soren Kierkegaard said, the pure in, to be pure in heart is to will one thing. I've asked one thing of the Lord, and that's what I'm going to seek after. This is about desire. This is about longing. What do I want? We've talked about this. How many times have I brought that up in a sermon or sitting with you? What do I want? What do you want? What do you really want? Are we living from the Spirit-inspired, God-given desires within us, or being satisfied by lesser desires? One thing, one thing, and And basically what what he says, it's to dwell, to gaze, and to inquire. That's what I want to talk about a little bit with you. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To dwell, to live or stay as a permanent resident, to live or continue in a given condition or state. Now, he knew, you know, he wanted to be in the presence of God. He wanted to, like, abide and remain, not necessarily in the literal temple, but knowing the presence of God with him at all times. I think we could say it's this longing to live in the community, in the household of God, in the community of the Trinity, into whom we're baptized, into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How do I dwell? Jesus writes, said, abide in me and I in you. Abide in my love. There's something about being at home in God and in God's household And staying there, like this dwelling, is such a rich word. It's something about communion. It's something about union and being with God. Okay, dwell. To dwell. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Wow, what is the beauty of the Lord? That's another thing, like, I dare not, barely, I'm going to suggest some things, but I, the beauty of the Lord is so manifold. Millions and trillions of evidences of the beauty of the Lord. And the psalmist st- says, to gaze upon, my one thing is to gaze on the beauty. In the midst of my fear, the one thing I long for is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. To look steadily and intently with great curiosity, interest, pleasure, or wonder. To gaze. What is the first human experience of gazing? I think... It's an infant latching on to its mother's eyes from about right here. Gazing, um, I'm taking a lot of these ideas from Kurt Thompson's book, The Soul of Desire, which I recommend to any of Kurt Thompson's books. And he reminds us that gazing is integrative. Gazing integrates our mind. Being seen, soothed, safe, secure. that's, That's how we grow as humans. By having that attunement, that being seen, being known, being held in the gaze of one who accepts and loves us unconditionally. Being seen, sued, safe, and secure in the presence of our fears gives us the opportunity to literally sense, image, and feel uh, and our bodies the chance to behave in a different way in response to the fear or shame or trauma we've carried for so long. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. The beauty of the Lord. What is the beauty of the Lord? Again, it's in so many ways, and we would do well to gaze at a beautiful piece of music, or a beautiful piece of art, or a landscape, or a sunset. I would also suggest the beauty of the Lord is sitting right here in this room. And ultimately, the beauty of the Lord is the very nature of the Lord, which is self-giving love. His outpouring, his outpoured love continually. This is the beauty of the Lord. How does light and wisdom and spirit become more alive and more real and more a part of who I am. Some of it has to do with dwelling and gazing and inquiring. Inquiring or meditating, being curious, out of the longing, out of the desire, what do I really want, this inquiring, not being a person who is rigid, who said, I think, I, pr- I think I've pretty much arrived. I think I pretty much know all I need to know about God and myself. A lot of Christians actually live that way, even though they don't dare say it that way. To inquire, to sit still before the Lord, to be curious, to wonder, The author of The Cloud of Unknowing. So this is a book I've known about for years and years and have, did not read it until very recently, uh, In God's Wisdom and Kindness. He, um, it's not a book for everyone. Um, it's written by a 15th century English Christian mystic, but anonymous. They don't know who it is. Uh, probably a man, but maybe a woman. Um, and it's it's very influential in realms of like contemplative prayer, quiet prayer, um, meditation. Um, the idea being, well, I'll, I'll read just a couple of little pieces from it. Thought, thought, our thinking cannot comprehend God. Now he's he's going to say, or she's going to say, in other places, like we need to think. God ga- gave us thinking minds. That's good and important. In fact, it's good to think about God. We need the scaffolding. We need the foundation. Like, But ultimately, to know God is not through thinking and figuring God out. That's impossible. Though, though we cannot know him, we can love him. By love, God may be touched, embraced, but never by thought. Of course, we do well at times to ponder God's majesty or or kindness uh, for the insight these these meditations bring. But basically, the, the word is, if God is stirring your heart, let your loving desire reach out to pierce what you can't know, this cloud of unknowing. Whenever you feel drawn by grace to this contemplative work, simply raise your heart to God with a gentle stirring of love. A naked intent toward God, the desire for God alone is enough. Do you hear Psalm 27 in there? One thing. It was 50 years ago, I didn't share this at 8 very quickly, 50 years ago this month um, was the first time, I was, I was 16, I think, yes, or almost 16, I don't know. It was 50 years ago in February, was the first time I felt and experienced God's love, like overpowering, like, Wow in a way that like shifted and uh, unsettled me, but also like stirred me. Um, I remember where I was. I was a, it was a winter retreat with this youth group and I remember the ice skating and the snow. Um, and I've been seeking that, like seeking to be possessed by that, changed by that ever since. Fifty years, and I still have so far to go. We're going we're gonna to pray in a minute, or the, Taylor will pray, that God would, in, in, as we come to communion, that we would wor- worthily receive the sacrament, be made one body with him that he may, what, dwell in, in us and we in Him. Not as a commodity, not as something we get that we can show as our entrance into heaven one day, as this like being transformed by the powerful transforming love of God, saturating our being. in that gaze, in that dwelling, in that inquiry that the fear and the false self that I build up would fall away, would be let go. Back to the epistle real quick as I close. Paul said in the beginning of that, for I decided to know nothing among you. Here was my one thing when I came and preached to you, my one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and his wounds. Jesus Christ and that terrifying experience he went through. Could, could, Could Jesus Christ and him crucified at once be the most fearful, hideous thing, and the most beautiful thing? What do you desire? What do you really want? What is your one thing?